0: Welcome back to the Hour View podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Judy Human. Judy was diagnosed with polio at the age of 18 months, and she has since dedicated her life's work to advocating for the rights of those who have disabilities. Join us in our conversation as we take an intergenerational look at our lives growing up with a disability. Thank you for joining me for this uh, episode of the podcast, Our View Podcast. I um, welcome you, uh, Judy Human, to my podcast, and uh, I really have followed you for uh, so long, and the work that you have done to help improve the lives of those who have disabilities. And uh, I like to start off my podcast by asking my guests to introduce themselves because. Um, For me, I, you know, people say they know you and they've uh, read things and and heard about you, but I think you can best describe yourself uh, to the audience uh, in a few
1: words. (laughs) Uh, First, thanks a lot, Arthur. I really appreciate um, being asked through this program with you. And for the audience, um, I am a white disabled woman, and this is uh, not visual, but, I'll give you the descriptor. I'm wearing a pink sweater and I'm in the foyer of our um, apartment, which is where I live with my husband and two roommates, and also where our office is. And I have two people uh, that work with me, Stevie and Becca. And then, you know, COVID allows us to see other people's places. And so I'm, you know, looking at Arthur Aston. Who's wearing this great shirt that says Our View, the name of the program. But of note for me is that O is um, a wheelchair uh, rider. So there's a stick figure in the wheelchair actively pushing. And um, it's on, is that a green shirt? Yes. Yeah. So it's a green, looks like velour turtleneck. I love it. And behind him, is a bookcase and on the bookcase are two uh black disabled dolls i think one uh young girl and one young boy and and, uh the boy is using crutches and braces he's got a green top and uh sitting down and the girl um is sitting in a wheelchair she's got i think big pigtails and the wheelchair is a manual wheelchair doesn't exactly fit her but um because it wasn't designed that way but a great wheelchair and um and then he's got a great painting in the background which i can't completely tell but it looks like it's a beach scene and uh some boats and lovely trees so as i'm talking to you we're looking at the scenes uh in our apartments um who am i i think i'm a networker i love people I've been involved in the movement, I'm 72 and a half. I'll be 73 in December, I can't believe I'm this old. Not old, I love being old, it's not a criticism of being old, but I started out in my 20s when I was definitely one of the youngest people with my friends in the room as we were taking on older people who were um, not in many cases disabled individuals, but non-disabled individuals who really saw us as young Turks or as some defined communists because we were trying to uh, make reforms that we've been enacting over the last number of decades with further work to do. And um, I'm an activist and there isn't any one time in my life that made me say, oh, I need to be an activist. I think it's something that just occurred naturally or unnaturally and unnaturally because of the types of discrimination that I and my disabled friends were experiencing in the 50s. Um, not being able to go to school because I was deemed a fire hazard, having a teacher come to the house in Brooklyn, New York for two and a half hours a week, considering that to be an equivalent education, which was less than a week than kids got in one single day. And then just, I think how I learned from my parents and my friends and my friend's parents and how if people were not advocating for change, it wouldn't happen. So I would say I'm an advocate for change who's really been um, fortunate to have worked with great disabled people in New York, in California, nationally and internationally where we all have a similar similar vision of um, justice and civil and human rights and the empowerment of the voices of disabled people. Uh, I'm one of the founders of the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley and I've been involved with the National Council on Independent Living for many decades now and many others and the International Disability Rights Movement uh, with the Centers for Independent Living emerging around the world, I want to just say one other thing. I really feel that one of the reasons why we've been able to make the advancements we have um, is based on the fact that we've been becoming a growing uh, movement of diversity. You know, in the beginning, when I was growing up, and still in many ways, our, our disabilities have been the stovepipes that we've lived in. And I think the movement itself has really made us recognize, or many of us recognize, that we experience discrimination differently depending on who we are and who the totality of who we are is. But at the end of the day, discrimination is discrimination and it limits the opportunities uh, for people. And it also limits our belief in ourselves always having to be fighting, uh, not just on the day-to-day level for what our vision for ourselves is, but then really the stigma that we experience as disabled individuals who are Black, Latino, Asian, religious minorities, uh, sexual orientation that are not considered typical, on and on. So our movement, I think it can be a leader and is being a leader um, in really recognizing where we are and where we yet need to go.
0: Yeah, I um, I definitely agree. It, it's, you know, discri- like you said, discrimination is discrimination. And for me being an African-American male uh, who also has a disability, which is a visible disability, I, I'm a wheelchair user and I also use crutches. Um, so you see me coming uh, either on my crutches or in my wheelchair. And I've I've had experiences where I've been dismissed, and I've always um, you know I, I always have to question why is it because I have a disability is it because I'm African American, uh, the job is that it I both? have is it both right yeah the job that I have I, I work for a nonprofit that uh, builds inclusive playgrounds, and one of the sites where we have a playground has a a large pavilion area that people often rent out for events. And I had an experience where there were um, three men in business suits and they were walking around looking and so I went over to them and I said, Oh, is there anything I can help you guys with? They were looking at the playground in the pavilion and they said, um, oh no, we're okay, we're we're fine. And I was uh with my coworkers <laughs> who are Caucasian and they
1: um I'm sorry, were they disabled or non disabled? No, they were non disabled. And so you were in your wheelchair or on crutches? I was in my wheelchair. So you were a black man in a wheelchair? Yes. And then uh, maybe and 10 the minutes three, later. And the three people uh, that were walking around, what were they?
0: They were uh, non-disabled Caucasian men. And they, were, um, they, they came over to where we were, to, to where our group was maybe 10 minutes later, and talked to one of the non-disabled Caucasian men to ask them, about the playground and about the uh pavilion and how to, you know, if they could rent it out for their uh work event. And thankfully my coworker who was always quick with a response, he said, Oh sure, you can speak to our executive director, Art Aston, right here.
1: <laughs> Are you the executive director? Yes.
0: yes yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So he um, you know, he said, Oh sure, yeah, you know, um art, our executive director, Art Aston, he can help you out with that, you know. Absolutely no problem. And their faces were just like, oh no. Like they, you know, they realized. Um so I, I always do, yeah, I always have to think, is it because I'm disabled or because I'm black? Or like you said, is it because I'm I'm both? Um, but yeah, being being a part of the movement of uh attempting to create change in the world is um something that I'm I'm very passionate about as well. Um one thing uh, we we talked briefly before we started recording. Uh, we had a discussion yesterday uh, about the differences in our education experiences coming up. Uh, as you that's mentioned, you had you had home instruction um, until you were in uh, fourth grade, correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Yeah, and um, in the
1: middle of the fourth grade, and, and then, then went you to segregated classes,
0: and you went to segregated
1: classes, kids, right? Only for disabled kids.
0: Yeah, um, and my experience with school was completely, um, almost completely the opposite of that. I, I did an early intervention uh, program uh, through a, a local school here in, in New Jersey called Kingsway. Um, I believe I was three or four years old. And what then. Year were
1: you born?
0: I was born in 1981.
1: And I was born in 1947. So in yeah. 1981, as we were discussing yesterday, was six years after what was then called the the education EHA, Education Handicap, whatever. Today it's Mm -hmm. called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And Section 504 had been signed into law in 1973. So in 81, you were beginning to benefit from these laws that no one even thought about in the 1950s.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's what, um, you know, hear, hearing, um, I read your book, or I listened to your audio book that was uh, read by uh, someone I've become friends with, Allie Stroker, and, uh, you know, hearing your experience of being in the segregated classrooms with others who had disabilities, and you were in the basement of the school. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was, uh, you know, like I you said, in a different, basement
1: at the school. so let me just, yeah. We so were in the basement of the school, the cafeteria and the gym was right down the hall from our classes. We were not allowed to eat lunch with the non-disabled kids and we never went to gym with the others. We only integrated with the kids on Fridays if there was an assembly.
0: Wow. So, See, and then, and like that, that goes back to the conversation we were just having about the discrimination and the segregation of of you know, people with disabilities. And it's just, um, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you have done to, uh, you know, help create those changes so that, uh, you know, there's more integration of, uh, classrooms and schools, these, you know, in the present time. And my experience, I went to public school from kindergarten all the way through high school and, uh, I was never in the, uh, in a segregated classroom. We had them in our, in our schools, but, um, as part of the individuals, uh, the IDEA, uh, you know, I was able to benefit from, uh, certain things and, uh, you know, having longer test times and, and things like that for tests and, and being in, uh, in different, you know, in a different classroom sometimes to take a test if, if that's what I needed. And uh, having those needs met that I, you know, that were specific to me and not just a uh, generalization, I guess, for, you know, other people all in, in one group,
1: I think was very And we were laughing important. yesterday when we were talking about our schools. So yes. the high school that I went to, my graduating class had 1,700 kids and your graduating class at how many i think we were maybe 300 or 400 maybe (laughs) and i think my number may be low but um so and you like you knew each other right from yes in the neighborhood and you yes went through elementary school together that for me in new york was because none of the schools that i went to were in the neighborhood so i went to one elementary school and then the high school that i went to was nowhere near my house oh, so there wow. was no like socializing afterwards with the kids but anyway yeah,
0: yeah see and that's that's interesting um as well you you mentioned uh in your book that you were the only uh per, the only child with a disability in your neighborhood and um how how did how was that um growing up with other kids who uh, didn't have disabilities, were you able to participate in a, lot of their, uh, in a lot of their activities? Did they include you in things or were you excluded?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll answer and then you answer your experiences. Yes. <laughs> um, because I think this, when we were talking yesterday about preparing for the program, um, it, it seemed really valuable that you know, we're intergenerational, right? You're much younger than I am, you're 39, I'm gonna be 73. And so listening to these experiences. um, In my neighborhood, it was um, a middle-class neighborhood in Brooklyn. And um, they were all small private homes, either attached or detached. And my parents had moved in, um, in, I guess, 1948 i was born in december of 47 and they moved to brooklyn when i was three months old and as had it was after the second world war and so there were a number of families who who had recently moved in or had only been there a few years and had kids and so it was kind of a close-knit uh area and um there were numbers of families that were having children. So when I had polio, people knew my family and they knew me. And my mother was pregnant with my brother. She was eight months pregnant when I had polio. Um, So after being in and out of the hospital for a number of years, um, I was really a part of the neighborhood. And um, my neighbors were our friends, the kids played together, I played with them. Um, I was in a Brownie troop, which was up the block. I'm Jewish, there's a church up the block that had the Brownie troop. And um, and we played together and we like learned how to make accommodations. So I remember I wore braces at that point and used a wheelchair, which I still do. I don't wear braces anymore. Um, and I remember my friends putting skates on my feet and another friend you know, roller skating and pushing my wheelchair and even did that once when they froze over this little, we had a little backyard, froze it over and people were ice skating and put ice skates on my feet. Oh, wow. And we just, <laughs> like once, we just accommodated like the girls scout brownie games and things. And I would turn the rope because I didn't jump. But, you know, I remember when I was younger, both of my family and, and, my uncles and aunts and kids, and in that part of the uh, neighborhood, we were we were just all friends. And my disability obviously affected things like the houses weren't accessible, and I had to scream out, you know, to call a friend out or, um, you know, be lifted into the house. Those things, but of course that all started to slowly change as education was denying me what other kids were getting and i think really at that point it was beginning to like why is this happening and it was a gradual transition for me as i was getting older to start thinking about the fact that i was being treated differently because i used a wheelchair
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um yeah
0: yeah, for me, uh I grew up in a very small suburban town outside of uh Philadelphia in in New Jersey. And um very small town. I, I my elementary school had a hundred, maybe a hundred and twenty kids total from kindergarten through sixth grade. Uh, you know, and we were all very close. And uh a majority of uh outside of school, I had um I have a very large family. My dad is, is one of 10 children. My mom is one of seven. Um, my That's maternal, great. my maternal grandmother was one of 14. Um, so I have a very large family. So a lot of my friends, uh, growing up and even still to today are, are my relatives, my cousins.
1: Do they live, do they live in the same area?
0: Yes. Yes. A lot of us, uh, are still in, in the same area and, Um, outside of the uh, pandemic. If, if they don't live inside in in New Jersey, we travel to see each other in in Maryland and uh, California and and everywhere. So we, uh, you know, so that was my experience of being, you know, around friends and and in my neighborhood and in my family, like you said, of course your disability was known and everybody knew it, but uh, they made accommodations. I always went to the playground with them and, uh, you know same thing with skating i i did have uh more uh mobility in my legs so um they actually put me on skates <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> yeah to do some roller skating uh i i do remember that and i have pictures of that uh one of the local um organizations in uh my mom's old neighborhood uh where they did like youth programs and things like that they had a skating party every uh holiday season around christmas so they would you know they would take me there and and we would they would put on skates and i would you know wheel around with somebody holding my hands up to you know help me get around and um so it it's really uh you know like you said the uh, intergenerational uh between the two of us but having very similar uh having very similar uh stories in, in that way i think is
1: really really interesting <laughs> and my family so we uh jewish and my family's from Germany and so both sets of grandparents died in the Holocaust and my mother's father had no siblings and my mother's mother or my like grandmother she had a sister and her family died so on my mother's side of the family we have not that many relatives my father's side of the family more relatives but not at all like your family um, yeah. with so many relatives but. Family I think was very important. You know, as you're talking about this, one thing I remember was that, like in girls, in Brownies and Girl Scouts, I never felt, you know, different until there was a trip that was organized for the Girl Scouts to go on to, on a bus that wasn't accessible to ice skate. And I remember not going. Uh, of all that and so you know things started to pop up when activities were um, as people kids were getting older and people were doing different things going on a bus going on a train to get somewhere and I couldn't do that so whereas when I was younger you know we were you know, we did everything together. As we got older, that started changing. Mm -hmm. And camp, so I've also recently been in this film, documentary called Crip Camp on Netflix. Um, And as Arthur said, I have a book that uh, came out in February called Being Human and Unrepentant Memoir of a Disability Rights Advocate or Activist, sorry. Um, So, I think, you know, for those of us like you and myself who had our disabilities when we were younger, we have different experiences than for people who acquired their disabilities in their teens or 20s or older. And I think that's, you know, also an important issue when we look at our movement that, you know, you and I grew up and I would say we had a pretty happy, healthy sense of who we were in the beginning. And as we got older, the, what was going on around us, people's views of our not being equal, not being able to contribute the same. Um, but even there, that was somewhat changing, because, you know, I went for, four, for the first four years of education, um, three and a half years at home, and you are already in school at three and then you were in integrated classes at five. So I think that's also important if you felt a part of that community. So so for me, when did you start feeling that your disability uh, was resulting in people treating you differently?
0: I can say, very very similar to what you said as you got older and the um the activities changed where um you know i've i have no idea how or why i got interested i don't know if it was the um i I won't say peer pressure but the um the excitement from my family but i was very into um like amusement parks and roller coasters and things like that um (laughs) so uh you know, and there have been a few times where, uh because it's easier for me to use my wheelchair in amusement parks and, and places of where I have to walk for long distances, sure. uh, there have been uh, situations where I would go to get on a roller coaster, and I had been on maybe three other roller coasters in the same park, but the one attendant at that one ride would say, oh, you can't get on, huh. you know, and it's just like, what do you mean I can't get on? I was just on you know, three other, uh, rides here, three other roller coasters. Oh, uh, well, you know, the, the rules say, you know, if you have, uh, all these conditions, uh, you, you can't get on if you have back issues and they have the list there, uh, you know, saying of, of medical conditions that, you know, shouldn't ride this ride. So, um,
1: but it was not there.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> So that's when we, you know, would start, you know, trying to make a case for it. And it's, I understood their concern, uh, you know, and at the same time, it's like, if I want to, you know, take that chance and, you know, I think you should definitely let me take that chance because that was, you know, and that's, that's how I was raised with, um, you know, within my family. If you want to do it, you can do it, you know, as, as long as you're not, you know, as long that's as
1: you're not.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was the other thing uh, I wanted to go back to within my family. My family was so large, but I never realized that we, we very rarely talked about spina bifida and what it was, what it meant, how it really impacted me. It was just, this is Arthur and this is who he
1: is. This is Let what me he ask has you to- a question about that mm-hmm. because very much I think I had a similar experience but we did talk, you know, because my family was Jewish, your family is Black. Were race issues something that were discussed in your family more than Black disability? Not really. Um, okay.
0: Yeah, not, not really. Um, and we lived in, in very, uh, we lived in a very like inter- integrated uh, neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, in my school, the schools I went to, we, you know, we had uh, all uh, nationalities, religions, and, um, you know, all that uh, kind of thing. Uh, so we really, you know, at that time, I I don't recall that we, you know, discussed it much. Um, I was, I, I remember uh, back to the, uh, not talking about my disability, I was with one of my cousins who, on my mom's side, he is, Uh, a few years younger than me, um, out of my cousins, and we were in our 20s, and we were out one night, and um, he said, well, he was like, can you tell me what spina bifida is? And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) He said, well, what is it? He said, you never, you know, we we never talked about it. it. We know that's what you have, but he said i just know you were my older cousin who drove a car so it was <laughs> you know it was it was cool to me and and my mom would let me go places but uh with you but uh you know so that that was interesting to me so to have back to the uh you know amusement park scene to have somebody tell me that you know you can't do something when you know all my life my family and friends have seen me doing things and so that's that's when i really uh, realized that it was you know, like, wait a minute, people outside of my family don't see me the same as, uh, you know, the people I interact with on a, a regular basis. So that was really, um, really uh, shocking to me. And then, of course, as I got older, and into the working world, um, I I noticed it as well. Um, you know, the, the difference in the way that people uh, view you as, uh, you know, being a, a person with a disability and they assume your limitations without asking about them and just um you know making making decisions for you where uh where you can clearly or where you're clearly capable of making them uh on your own. I think that was uh another another really big thing for me as I as I got older and uh you know started looking for jobs and and
1: uh, applying for for jobs. <laughs> no, I was going to say I think you know stigma and people's perceptions of who we are and what we're able to do god your family is so big it would be great to do a study on it. i'm not even joking you know because you were just arthur um and yet i suppose that i mean i was just judy but um i did really um, want and need to discuss disability issues and what I was experiencing as I was getting older. And of course I could talk to my family about it, but it wasn't the same. It was really, um, for me, one of the few values of going to segregated education was I was meeting other disabled people Mm -hmm. who were experiencing similar things that, you know, maybe you didn't experience um, because you're in a small community. And that, did did you find that there were people, even when you were younger, who said things about you that were negative or disparaging? Or did you ever feel that teachers or others have lesser expectations for you than others? or Did you pretty much through school feel like, you know, you do your part of the deal, they do their part of the deal, and they saw you as the same?
0: I could say in my early elementary school years, um, that wasn't an issue because the school was so small. And, um, you know, a lot of the teachers, they didn't live in the town, but they lived locally enough um, that we were, you know, all very a close like a, a small family pretty much right. um before you know uh this was the 1980s so uh for as an example uh the school nurse who I'm still very close with uh today um uh, I remember going she had a, a a house at the Jersey Shore and I would go and spend the weekend with her and her family sometimes you know at the Jersey Shore so it was I think in those years, I didn't experience that. But as I got into middle school and high school, I think the teachers, uh, you know, maybe questioned my, uh, my ability uh, to learn and, and some subjects were difficult for me. Math was very difficult for me. Um, I don't know if, you know, I, I know a lot of people have struggles, difficulties with math. So I'm not saying it was because of my spina bifida diagnosis, or it's just my brain didn't Want to understand numbers and <laughs> and all those equations, yeah. um, but and then I I did have uh, some teachers who really you know worked with me, understood that, and you know as they would with any other student, they uh, you know put in the extra time to you know uh, meet with me to help me try to understand things a, a lot better. So just uh, for you know the last part, I would like to get into the um, uh, employment um not issues, but an topic of employment. Uh, in your book, you uh mentioned that you were denied employment by the New York City uh Board of Education. You applied to be a teacher. And was that the uh, was that the first experience you had with being denied employment uh based on your disability or
1: no actually I had applied for a job when I graduated from college. I don't even remember why I applied for this job, but it was a social work position. (laughs) And um, it seemed interesting. And so I applied for it and I sent my resume in and I got a call and they did a phone interview and it went really well. And they almost gave me the job on the phone. And uh, then the person who was interviewing me gave me a time and a a place to go and have another interview to meet people so when i get off the phone i realized that i hadn't asked where the accessible entrance was so or or if the you know place was accessible so i called back and i said oh i, I use a wheelchair and where's the accessible entrance and she said to me oh i'll get back to you and then oh. she called me back and said, no need to come in for another interview. Wow. So that was my first foray. Because I mean, when I was on campus, I went to Long Island University in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been, um, I, I'd worked in college. Um, I worked in the president's office and I had worked in the alumni office and i had done work in the uh, they had a speech therapy um, program and i was my major was in speech and theater with a concentration on speech therapy so i had done all those things and then when i was also i guess in my i think my freshman and sophomore year uh, in the summers i had worked at um as a social worker uh, or you know, an intern social worker at a place called the William Reed Day Center for Senior Citizens. So I'd really work a lot, you know, um, while I was in college. And then when I graduated, I was working in the alumni office as I was applying for the teaching position and then had applied for the social work position. So end of the day, um, those were my first Uh, experiences interviewing for jobs where people didn't know me. I mean, the college campus, you know, people knew me. And I don't even remember how I got the job in the president's office, but I loved the job in the president's office. And I was a receptionist. Uh, But I loved that job because I was at the front desk. So I knew so many things about what were going on, you know. I was handling One day the FBI came, they, and it was like hysterical. They came like literally in these trench coats. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but no, the, I, and I love that. And I was on student council and yeah, so I was very active on campus and then went into the real world and yep, job discrimination in my face.
0: Yeah. And that's a um... no lot
1: and there were no laws.
0: Right at that time, there were no laws to protect you from a, a, from uh, discrimination. So that was, right. um, and I think that's what really uh, struck me because yeah, I, I was born in 1981, and you know, as a child, I don't remember uh, discrimination. But then, with the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, you know, I was old enough to to be aware of what it meant and um, the creation of it all. And so just to to read your story and to know that uh, those types of laws didn't exist back then to prevent from uh, against discrimination, it was, and and the way that you fought that.
1: uh, Cindy, you recall the first time that you experienced discrimination. And we talked yesterday, one of the things we talked about was camp. Yes. Um, One summer you went to a camp for disabled kids. I went to camps for disabled kids for many years. My experience was I, loved going to these camps with disabled kids, because I felt so comfortable, and your experience was different, right?
0: Yes, so my, my experience, um, because as, as I mentioned earlier, um, all of my friends who I was around uh, consistently as a child, they were all non-disabled uh, children. So I didn't really have the experience of being around others who were like me, who looked like me, uh, as far as using crutches, having spina bifida. I did belong to the local chapter of the Spina Bifida Association, and we went on, you know, a few trips. I remember we went to, you know, the zoo and the circus a few times and, uh, you know, small outings. How did
1: you feel when you were with them?
0: How did I feel with them? I felt really great because they, they looked like me and we could, you know, we could talk about, uh, things and this was when I was probably my preteen years or so. And, uh, you know, we could share experiences of surgeries and things that we had and, uh, you know, those types of things and, and just how school was going and, and what we didn't like or what we liked about school and, uh, just hearing similar stories. That was, uh, really great for me because it, it, I, I was able to relate to them on a different level uh, than people who uh, I was used to encountering and uh, you know having friendships with who didn't have the disabilities. Um, so that was that was a good uh, experience for me. I think my camp experience was very overwhelming for me because it was a larger number of uh, of children who had disabilities who were more, uh, their, their diagnosis were uh, more severe than mine where they needed more uh, care from the uh, camp counselors and nurses who were there. Like um,
1: Cerebral Palsy.
0: Um, Cerebral Palsy and um, other diagnoses. Yeah, that I, um, you know, I, I wouldn't know the names of, of them at that time. Um, but I noticed like, for instance, they would need help, assistance with eating, and um you know they would have need assistance going to the restroom and i couldn't relate to that because i wasn't um uh, that wasn't my experience
1: how old were you at that time
0: oh i was probably 11 or 12 or so and it was a two week camp and they uh my parents um i i didn't want to stay because i i was so uncomfortable um you know, and I, I felt like it wasn't for me. Um, and I felt like, you know, my, my space could be taken by someone else who, you know, really needed that type of care. Um, and I, I did end up going home, uh, after, after a week. I did. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I did end up going home after a week, but they, you know, my dad, he was like, we're not like, you're staying, you're, you're staying here, you know, you'll enjoy it. You'll get used to, Uh, the routine and it's just different for you and you know stick it out you can do it and I just really um I really couldn't and on top of that I think being that my circle of people were family members it was really my first time being away from home too for you know what was supposed to be a two-week thing so that was really uh overwhelming for me and um you know, I guess I, I wouldn't know it at the time, but looking back, I would probably say a cause of anxiety for me. Um, you know, because it was, I was around people I didn't know and it was supposed to be for two weeks and I'm two hours from home. So <laughs> uh, all of that on top of everything just uh, did not uh, sit well with me at that <laughs> at that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it, it's really, um, you know, and it was really, interesting for me to, uh, have that experience because it, w- it was something very new for me. And I didn't know, uh, at the time, I didn't know if something like that existed, a camp for people who had disabilities. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I, I knew that they were uh, very common things. And then of course, as you mentioned, uh, watching your documentary a few months ago on, uh,
1: Crip camp, camp, on, camp, Netflix.
0: on Netflix. Yeah, that was, uh, very, you know, very eye-opening for me to see that whole experience and how it went on, um, for so long, for so many years, and just, um, you know, just a a place where everybody could get together and, you know, uh, congregate together with, uh, others who were like them is, uh, you know, it's such a, a great thing, and now I, as an adult, of course, I can see, uh, the importance of that, of, um, you know, being around people who are, who are like you in the uh, in the way of having disabilities
1: I mean the you know part of it is when you relate the fact that you when you had when you went on activities with the Spondy Bifida Association and were they like day trips yes Yeah, so I think you know you're talking a little bit about your family and how you're with your family and overnight it was probably a combination of being away from your family and your extended family, which was probably an issue, and then because I mean, there are people with spina bifida who have, are more significantly disabled than you are, but right. I guess the norm is not that. Be in school. I studied psychology, uh-huh. so I have a
0: master's in psychology, and uh-huh. um, my goal for my my plan was to help families who are impacted by disabilities because I felt like that was something that my family missed out on. Um, You know, and I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was offered to my family and my family, um, you know, turned it down or if it just wasn't something that was brought up to my family. But uh, as I grew up and got older and became an adult, I could definitely see the benefits of uh, where counseling would have, helped, uh, helped my family. I have an older sister who doesn't have a disability. Um, and just seeing how, you know, my parents had to, um, the, the challenge and, you know, with siblings anyway, uh, you know, parents have to, uh, give more to, to others than, uh, give more to some of their children than others. And mine was in the, medical way because I had surgeries and uh, recovery time. So a lot of time was spent with me. Uh, and I think uh, having a counseling, uh, you know, a, a routine of, of counseling for family counseling, I think that would have been uh, beneficial to my, uh, to my family. The issue I have with that, though, with majoring in psychology is a lot of counseling has uh, gone to uh, in-home counseling or uh, off-site cool. yeah vir- virtual now but uh, you know even before that it's it's it was you're going to the home to see the clients and
1: oh. um,
0: yeah so with me oh. being a wheelchair user and using crutches that's fine if your house is one floor and I can you know if you have one step I can walk up a few steps but if you're in an apartment building with no elevator I can't quite do that <laughs> so uh, so are you doing counseling now online? I'm not. Um, I've been so, um, I think, uh, I guess the the best word is to say, uh, fulfilled with uh, the work that I'm doing with the nonprofit. Um, I've worked with them as a volunteer starting in 2010. And then I became executive director in 2013. So we've been uh, fundraising and uh, working with the baseball league and getting that all up and running has been really uh, rewarding. And I I think I've definitely, you know, found what I need to be doing for, you know, for at least this time in in my life.
1: (laughs) I mean, it also seems to me that while you're not doing counseling, you are. Yes. I mean, you're leading by example. And my presumption is you're talking with disabled kids and their families and analyzing what's going on and giving guidance and things of that nature. So your background in counseling, I'm sure is nothing but helpful. Yes. I have definitely found it to be
0: beneficial in, uh, the work that we do and the interactions that I have with the, like you said, with the families has been really, um, it's been very beneficial to have the background of, uh, the psychology, yeah. I
1: really so, want to thank you for this discussion. Thank um, you. I think, you know, for your audience, it's a little bit different probably than the one that you do, but I'm really glad that it's not just been a Q on your side and an A on my side, yes. but rather a discussion.
0: Yes. I'm, I'm very grateful for, uh, for both of our time to, uh, as you said earlier and <laughs> to, uh, just make sure, uh, this took place and and I appreciate uh, I appreciate this time and we uh,
1: did I I really
0: yes definitely I really do uh, like this format that that we did where it was a back and forth a discussion and uh, so thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening
1: (laughs) and I think the audience learns about both of us and with other people that you interview because you've got a really rich background, Mm -hmm. and maybe people know all about it, and I was just learning about it, but I think it also draws listeners in to hear so many facets of your life. You know, how you grew up and where you are and all the diversity, you know, in your family and school and work, and so we will stay in touch, and I'm honored that you called me.
0: Oh, and thank you so much. And you enjoy the rest of your evening. And we will be in touch.
1: Thank you. Oh, uh, thank Bye-bye, you. Everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Our View podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. New episodes will be released on the fifteenth and thirtieth of every month. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Our View for Life. That's O U R. View the number four, life. Do you want to help change the tone of conversation among your family and friends? Head over to our website for some Our View merchandise. Our website is www.our-view.com/merchandise. For more information on Judy Human, be sure to follow her on Facebook at The Human Perspective with Judy Human. Watch her Netflix documentary Crip Camp. And be sure to purchase her memoir, Being Human. Human is spelled H-E-U-M-A-N-N. Thank you for listening and take care.